this week on the Back Table Podcast. Like just to watch that that catheter get sucked up in the body. Have you ever would, seen that? Have it ever no, happened to you? Oh yeah, never no, happened to me either. Absolutely not. But then yeah. I also think it's important. Like I think I feel like I see a lot of, especially trainees. When I was seeing trainees, they kind of flounder when it comes to taking out like ports, and that they don't exactly know where to start or where to go. So they're just kind of digging around. But like for me, like I focus on the tip of that reservoir. I go down, down, and I try and scoop up underneath it. And that gives me some intentionality to like where I'm dissecting and what planes I'm trying to hit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Back Table Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. First, a brief message from our sponsor. RadPad was developed by physicians for physicians clinically proven radiation protection during cine and digital subtraction and geography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RadPad radiation protection shields for all your fluoro guided interventions. See radpad.com for more information and contact info at radpad.com for a free radiation evaluation and a no-brainer radiation protection cap. And don't forget to tell them that you heard about it on the Backtable podcast. Now, back to the episode. Welcome to Back to Build Podcast. I got Chris Beck here in my home in Paris, France. Really excited to have the Becks in Paris. Chris, how's it been so far? So far, so good. We've been here a month and one week, I think, total, and we're settled into the new apartment, very much like the the new place, the new neighborhood, and comes with growing pains, but all in all, it's hard to complain about Paris. Very good. Definitely some growing pains. Some of the audience probably know, you know, we had some visa issues, so we just actually got back after being in the States for a couple of weeks dealing with that. So yeah, it's it's definitely not easy. I think that's why a lot of people don't just get up and pack and go to Paris. Sure, it, it's not easy, but it's fun, it's fulfilling, and it's definitely an adventure, a challenge. And you know, we feel like we're up for it. So you know, we took the Fritz playbook and we're trying to roll it out for for twenty twenty three in the first half of twenty twenty four. Yeah, well, you know, I've been telling a lot of people the reason why I'm excited is because I've never actually, other than my wife, I've never lived in the same town as somebody on Backtable. Um, and so it, it's exciting because we can do stuff like this in person, in my house. And today we're going to cover another basic topic like you and I usually typically like to cover. Uh, it's funny, I was uh, texting with one of our former attendings at Vanderbilt, Jim McElmurray, the other day, and he said that he listened to the uh, nephrostomy episode. Do <laughs> you have any strong thoughts about it? Well, he was just, he was like, hey man, I know I gave you guys a hard time. I didn't think I was <laughs> that bad. I... <laughs> And I'll have to go back and listen to that one because I forget, I remember, you know, we probably said something about him getting on us about, you know, a technique or something like that, but that's how we learned, you know, and I'm glad they got on us. Today, we're going to talk about Medipore removal. We've talked about Medipore placement previously. Do you remember what episode that was? No idea. Yeah, we'll we'll put it in the show notes. But today, we actually recently had Vishal Kumar on from UCSF. We were talking about anesthesia um, and what kinds of cases require what type, which levels of anesthesia. And it had me thinking about Mediports because I know people in my practice, some of them will just do it with local and uh, for Mediport retrieval. And I just, I don't know, I think that's odd. Uh, don't you? I mean, I think if the patient wanted it, my standard practice is moderate sedation. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, like that seems a little bit off to me. We'll get into it. We'll get into, we'll get into the reasons why. I just, it had me thinking about, oh, here's actually a very straightforward procedure. We do a lot of them in terms of retrieval. 
And, you know, why, but like my thought was like, okay, why is this a worthy topic? It's again, something we do commonly do. And there are actually some tips and tricks that go with it, right? I think so. I think there's an efficient, I mean, like anything, it's, it's not a hard procedure to do. I mean, certainly like you can argue it's not even an IR procedure in that, like, I mean, I just, I don't mean to say it's not an IR procedure. It's not imaging based. I mean, certainly like you don't really need to take a picture, but I still think there are some things to think about to make your procedure efficient and is pain-free as possible. I don't know if it's pain-free is the right way, but like as less uncomfortable as possible. Yeah. I mean, these are typically mostly cancer patients just to kind of get into how these patients present. They're typically patients that, you know, are done with their treatment. And I think you and I have maybe talked about this before, but the best thing about when they come in for this, what I love, I wish almost wish we had a bell to ring, you know, because it's like they're done with treatment, you know, it's a celebratory time. And so I always say congratulations. I think you told me that too. That you I definitely that. tell my patients congratulations. Like the the tone of putting or taking out a Mediport is very different from placing one. So it's very much like congratulations on having your port removed, having this behind you. I mean, there are other indications like an infected port or a malfunctioning or a broken port. But if they're finished with treatment and they're like five, 10 years out and like it's port removal time. Yeah, it's very much a congrat- uh, congratulatory atmosphere. And, you know, I try and keep it pretty upbeat. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I I didn't used to do that until I think you told me about it. And I, now every port retrieval that comes in as an outpatient post cancer treatment, I do that, and they just smile. Yeah, and, yeah, they're, yeah. and they're like, "Thank you," and you know, and uh, so that it it does kind of brighten my day, and it makes it kind of like a more fun procedure uh, instead of just like a rote, like oh, you know, here's another basic procedure, because it, we do celebrate around it, and so. Uh, that is probably the most common indication is that they're just done with treatment. Right. But some other indications, you mentioned infection. Yeah, port infection, malfunction, or broken, fractured port. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, I haven't seen too many fractured ones. I mean, the the, the ones that are out there that are placed subclavian seem less and less nowadays. Uh, but I guess it depends on where you practice. I was about to say, there's one hospital that, you don't want to call anyone out, but one of the hospitals that I work at, there's a couple docs that still do subclavians and one of them never has a problem with their ports. Like as far as, as long as I've been there and the other one, like I've, I do more port retrievals or fractured, you know, port, um, you know, where you form body retrievals from this one provider. So they're out there. I mean, it's not, not quite done. Yeah. But like, it just makes me think there's something about like the subclavian approach because two different docs and the one who I never see problems with, actually puts in probably more ports than the other one. So there's something about, like, it's not just like subclavian is bad. Like there's, they're doing it differently. Yeah. I wonder if it's just like the angle at which you gotta go be under something the subclavian. Like, right, right. You know, it's gotta be clavicle. something like that. Right, yeah. right, right. Because I think that proximity of the clavicle is what causes it because it's a, it's a um, First rib junction clavicle. point, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and pinch point for sure. Pinch point. That's what's causing it. Um, and there's some, there's something that's tight in there, you know, over time as they move their, arm up and down their shoulder, it's wearing on that little uh, silicone. And so again, I don't, I don't see many of those. Like if it's not somebody who's done with treatment, then it's somebody who uh, has an infected port, whether it be bacteremia or their incision opened up. <laughs> Usually when it's a purulent port pocket, like their incision opened up, it's a case where it was placed probably within the last month and yep. it got infected. Yep. When it's bacteremia, it might be somebody who had one placed five years ago and they have a port in place and they're in the hospital sick and maybe it's something entirely different. But because that patient's blood cultures are positive, 
the IT ID team or the the hospitalist team, they're like, we want that port out. Yeah, what that know? port out, what that pacemaker out, whatever central line is giving yeah. them access to the antibiotics should come out. VP shuns come out, like everything, like <laughs> like that's like standard operating procedure. I don't mean to yeah. make fun of ID docs, but I think that like that's like page one of the playbook, like take out all things that do not belong to the patient. Yeah, whatever it could be, anitis yeah, yeah, yeah. or exactly anitis. Yeah, and so we'll talk about infection a little bit, like what you do for those. But I I want to. I want to talk about the conversation that we have with the patient. Mostly it's congratulatory. When it is infected, what kind of conversation do you have with a patient about the infection and like why we have to take it out? Do you ever talk to them about that sort of thing? I mean, only I talk to them and, and it's just a little bit firm in that, you know, it's too bad that this got infected. I try not to dwell on the past. I don't know why it got infected. I don't know. I don't try and cover a lot of the past ground. I just say, this is where we are and this is what we have to do to move forward. Because a lot of times it feels like a step in the wrong direction for them. And I just tell them that this is just a, a part of the process. We got to get this old one out. The old one's bad. New one will be good as soon as we can clear the infection. And so, you know, in that, in the in- informed consent, that's kind of where I stand. Because I think a lot of them wonder how they got there, what happened. But I just try and focus on where we're at and not really like how the port got infected or why it did. Yeah. Because like, you know, sometimes they, they even internalize it. They, they're like, oh, is it anything I did? Is it because I took an extra bath or I take long, hot showers? I'm like, no, 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 it's none of those things. And even if it were, which it probably is not, I'm just like, it's infected. We think it's infected. Let's get it out, get the infection treated, and then get you some kind of new access until we can get you another port in. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I talked to him about, especially if it's, if you can see like the incision opened up, it's plus, you know, coming out, and stuff coming out, I let them know, hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to suture this back up the way it, it was. So you're probably going to have a bigger scar than you would have. Um, because sometimes they're not prepared for that, for this, this sort of secondary secondary closure and everything like that. So that's the only other thing, other, other than, you know, what you said already. I also talked to them about the anesthesia. Say, look, it's very similar to when you had it placed, I use moderate sedation for virtually everybody, unless there are some hospitals where they book them, but just local. And then I talk to them, I say, look, you know, I'm going to put a lot of lidocaine in there uh, to try and make it as comfortable as possible. If you want to be sedated, then I'm happy to reschedule you and have you come back another time because sometimes people aren't prepared for that either. Again, it's just because sometimes, you know, I'm covering for other docs. Sure. The, the, that other doc might do all theirs under local and they have a uh, you know, they convince the patients to do it under local. I just feel like it's not that different from when you put it in. And there's there's typically a lot more, there's a lot of scar tissue that you have to dissect through and that can be painful. Um, and so that's why I do all my nerve moderate. So Aaron and I are in the same room. And I'm kind of rolling my eyes, but I, I don't mean <laughs> to roll my eyes about it. But I, I think that taking them out, I mean, to me, there's way more dissecting on the port removal than there is the port yeah. placement. Like, it's almost whenever I'm placing a port, it's almost easy to find like a nice clean pocket to kind of tuck it in. I mean, don't get me wrong. I kind of dissect with my finger and I do have to make sure I have an, you know, adequate local anesthesia on board. But, you know, whenever it's a port removal, it's a little bit more of like, you know, you're kind of dissecting around those boundaries and yeah. sometimes cutting into scar tissue. I mean, to me, it seems like very, it's not dissimilar from putting it in. I use moderate sedation for placement, but you know, if, if it's working for other docs and kudos to them. And there's certain patients who the risk of anesthesia certainly is outweighed by the benefits. Yeah. Um, and so if the patients are up for it, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree necessarily. I just, for me, it feels like moderate sedation right yeah. on board. And, and some patients are totally fine because they're like, look, I couldn't get it right at home. Sure. It's just sure. pain in the butt to have to do sedation because they've already been through it. 
and um, or it's an elderly patient who the, the family is like, look, she doesn't do well with sedation. Can you just give her a lot of Lido? Those are the kinds of things, you know, like exceptions to the rule. Um, so not to say that I, I'd, I'd never do it local only, but I just prefer martyr because I don't, I want them to be comfortable. I don't want them, you know, they, every time you're yeah, 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 dissecting yeah, 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 yeah. that scar, they're like uh-huh. flinching. Yep. I just want them to be comfortable. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, so, okay. So we covered Hold anesthesia. On. Should I back it up almost like yeah. the very first part? I know it's yeah. like when you ever introduced the topic, you called it a Mediport. Is that what you call? Uh, you call them always Mediports? Mediports? Yeah. What do you call them? I just call them ports. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Medi- right. I mean, it's Medi- I mean, that's what we call them in, uh, on our website too. Mediport. I noticed that. Or it- I just, I just call them ports. I don't, I mean. Well, let's see. Okay. Well, this is a good, this is a good thing to cover. What else are they known as? Like it's. Because they they're known by multiple names. There's some places where they call them portacaths, portacaths, mediports, uh, mediport, ports port. is what I see all the and, time. Yeah. I didn't know what the actual official like. If you look at the CPT code, I mean, I wish I had it in front of me, but it's like, yeah. But let's we'll have to look it up, include in the show notes. But there, there's a CPT code. It's like subcutaneous tunneled central catheter or something with port. With port, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. It doesn't. doesn't it roll really says off mediport. The tongue, certainly. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I mean I'm sure I got it from training somewhere. Sure, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> what else? There was uh, yeah. It there's some there's something else that's called I'm trying. It's escaping me. But yeah, it's known by multiple things. It actually that's what I was thinking of when I'm looking for a dictation. Like I'm at a new hospital or something, and I it's like yeah, not everybody calls it Mediport. Right, right. Sometimes people just call it Powerport because they're like Mediport's what my grandma put. That's in. right. You know what I mean? Yep. I don't. Yeah. yeah. I see. I see Powerports, which is probably more accurate. I mean, everything yeah. that we put in now, well, everything I put in, it's a power port. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, we got that. Uh, yeah, we got that out of the way. <laughs> so let's go, let's jump into the typical procedure. Uh, you'll just walk us through how you, once, you know, the patient's on the table, got your local in. I, t- tell us how you put your local in. So first, I, I'd like to know a little bit about the patient ahead of time. How long has it been in and are they having any problems with it? I want to know if it's subclavian or IJ. I want to know if I put it in. Ideally, if there's a note, because I, I don't suture mine in, but there are plenty of docs that do. So I want to know those things ahead of time. If I don't, it's all things that I can figure out. But just I just wanted to say that. So I have the patient on the table, anesthetize. I use a lot of anesthetic. It, I know that we talked about on the podcast about anesthesia, about like the, the dose limits for lidocaine. I use a lot of lidocaine. I've never had a patient who had side effects from lidocaine. And so I use uh, a large amount of lidocaine uh, a lot of times with epi, but if for some reason it's not with epi or there's a kind of uh, contraindication, then I don't sweat that. And I usually will try and use the same incision that they used to place it. Like some people place their ports differently, but I'll try and make the incision that the the uh, original provider who placed the port used. Yeah. Um, not don't have to, but that's what I try and do. And ninety percent of the time, and a hundred percent of the time when it's me, that's at the top end yeah. of the medi port. So it's like where the uh, reservoir meets the porticat. Right. So I do the anesthetic. I cut down deep and you know break through the sub Q layer. Careful to not like cut the actual port catheter. Like that's the one thing is, is I feel like the the golden rule of like removing ports is like you don't want to cut that catheter. I'm not saying it's going to get sucked into the patient's body, but it can. It could, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. There's no doubt. There's a 
a surgeon at one of the hospitals that I work at. He's a good buddy. And he like he just sometimes is a little bit like lackadaisical, like with hooking up his reservoir with his catheter. And so he'll just take his eyes off at a second and then it gets sucked into the body and then like we'll go retrieve it in the OR or like oh in the cath lab the next day. It happens enough to where like we we started giving him a really hard time about it. It's it's really funny. But I think now that we've started giving him a hard time, he's making more of that effort. <laughs> so anyway, I cut down and I try and cut down deep, but care to air towards the side of the reservoir because I do not want to cut that catheter. And then once I've made that first incision, I dig straight down on both sides of the reservoir and um, near the tip of the reservoir where it connects to the catheter. So I go deep on the right side, deep on the left side. And then I try and loop or try and like scoop like a pair of curved hemostats underneath that. And then once I can connect those two things, I can kind of like inch it cranially. And then I'm trying to birth the, always trying to birth the catheter first. And once I have the catheter out, then it's kind of game over and yeah. you just have to go to the workmanship of, it's kind of the blocking and tackling of just get, getting the reservoir out. But that to me is like, like priority one is to not cut the catheter, get the catheter out. And then once the catheter is out, then you know the game is won. It's just like getting the reservoir. Yeah, I completely agree. Like that's like the big thing that you're scared of is cutting that catheter. And one thing when I was a fellow that Robbie Morrison, my co-fellow taught me actually, and I guess one of the fellows before him taught him was to pull the the uh, the incision scar <laughs> over, like you'll grab the skin and pull it over top of the actual poor reservoir. So then when you're making your incision, you're making it over the port reservoir, not over where the catheter yep. is. And so, and then you can go all the way, you can like basically cut down to it. And, and, you know, even if we cut the silicone at the top, it's not a big deal, but at least, you know, you're safe and you're not going to cut that catheter. So that's what I, I do to kind of prevent that. Cause yeah, that's my worst night. Well, I mean, it's not a worst nightmare, but like just to watch that, that catheter gets sucked up in the body. Have you ever seen that? Have it ever no. happened to you? Oh yeah, never no, happened to me either. Absolutely not. But then yeah. I also think it's important. Like I think I feel like I see a lot of, especially trainees. When I was seeing trainees, they kind of flounder when it comes to taking out like ports, and that they don't exactly know where to start or where to go. So they're just kind of digging around. But like for me, like I focus on the tip of that reservoir. I go down, down, and I try and scoop up underneath it. And that gives me some intentionality to like where I'm dissecting and what planes I'm trying to hit. And I think once you do that, then you can then kind of hack around a little bit or however you decide to get to the capsule around the reservoir is kind of up to the operator. But um, the most important thing is I like to go straight down, straight down, yeah. join those two and then birth the uh, catheter. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I always kind of aim for the the little piece that connects the tubing to the to the base of the, of the port, mm-hmm. um, the, the little cuff. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean, like, yeah, exactly. I, like I get my, my curved hemostats around that cuff and then like you said, like kind of birth it up and then get your, get another one around yeah, yeah, the yeah, catheter yeah. and then just pull it out like spaghetti, yeah. you know? Yeah. Another thing I'll say is like, if you're not seeing like glistening white catheter, like you're probably not there yet. I mean, like you can try and like kind of tug away at it if you think you're real close but sometimes it needs some like sharp dissection. Like totally. um, like that goes for the catheter and the actual reservoir. Like if you're not seeing it crystal clear, there's usually like a little sinew or a little thin layer of membrane or cat or um, just some kind of tissue that's covering it. it. Yeah. And those yeah. can be pretty tough, pretty resistant. Yeah. In, in that case, I take my 
my blade, my eleven blade, and I just kind of very yes, gently yes, 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 yes. go along the plane of the catheter yes. itself until you start to see that white. Yep, 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 yep. And then you can scoop at, scoop it out of that right. Yep. That fascial yep. plane. And the same thing when you go for the reservoir. Like if you're kind of dissecting down and you see that like thin fibrous capsule over the top of it, I I continue to attack that until I'm actually seeing like truly like bright for me it's bright purple reservoir. Yeah. And then once I see that. Then I attack that plane and yeah. try and like dig that out. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly the same. And so just to back up real quick, I always have the tech take a picture, just a single fluoroscopic image of the chest showing where the port is, making, you know, you want to look at the picture, make sure the catheter doesn't look kinked or anything like that. Everything looks like it's in place. You're not chasing after a foreign body. And then I don't, I'm not wearing lead during the procedure at all. That's like one of the few procedures where I don't wear lead in the in the IR suite I would say same so I take a yeah. pre-picture without like yeah. you know before I walk in or have like the technologist doing it um yeah. and then take a post picture when everything's out like I don't yeah. watch it coming out under fluoro and yeah yeah I That'd mean be... ideally you'd also like check that op note and like see how much catheter length they had like so whenever you take it out I rarely do that I kind of just go off the pictures and yeah like, if it looks like it took it out got, yeah think... if it looks super short yeah yeah, <laughs> so just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something's off yeah Exactly. And, it, but that being said, I still will come out of there sweating sometimes because sometimes there's a lot of scar around that reservoir and it takes me a little while to get the scar around, especially when somebody has tied it down Yep, yep. and you're really searching for those sutures. Part of the reason why I don't like to tie mine down, I like to just make a tight pocket, but people can go back and review our, our, uh, Mediport placement discussion to, to hear more around that. But I just hate having to search for sutures. So I feel the same way. Um, I don't know if that's why I do it, but I certainly one of the reasons. Um, and I'll also say if you think it's tied down or you have any suspicion that it's tied down and you think you're just going to pull it hard enough to break those sutures, good luck. I mean, yeah. I, I just don't think you can, I'm sure you can generate the amount of force, but it's not an amount of force. Like, cause you know. I've been there. I've tried. I yeah. mean, like, and it's you, have, hurt. you have to find them. You have to yeah. cut them. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. Right. And get them. Pe- it, yeah. Pull them and out. also tell people, you know, don't be afraid. Like, I mean, I try and do the incision on the old incision. Like the last thing I want to do is leave them with an incision that's like double the length. But if you have to like widen the incision just a, you know, a couple millimeters on each side, I mean, that's just the cost of like removing a port. And, you know, that I think that's just something that has to be done. But uh, ideally I try and keep that like incision just as tight as like the old scar tissue. Yeah. So you got the catheter out, you got the reservoir out, ports out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I joke and say, it's a boy. And, you know, if the patient's awake, they get a little laugh. Sure. But then uh, what do you, well, then what do you do? So I'll usually irrigate the pocket a little bit. I mean, just out of habit. So like I'll kind of dunk some water in it and then clean that out. And I'll kind of just, I don't know why, but I just kind of like inspect the pocket very briefly. Yeah. Um, like digital palpation. And then once that's done, I'll usually close with 2 vicryl for the deep layer. 3 I'll try and bring it as close to approximated as possible. And then if I can, if I feel like it's coming together nicely, rub on the top. Yeah. Perfect. And then what do you do if it's infected? You know, I think infected, just like, so if you're dealing with an infected port or a, a fractured port, if you know that going in, it's kind of a different game and I'm geared up for it differently. An infected port, I'm probably still not going to wear lead. A fractured port, I would. But the difference would be, so it would be a much uh, more extensive irrigation of that pocket. Like I'm really going to clean that pocket out. I might even have a slightly wider incision just to make sure I'm like capturing all the areas that I think could be infected and I'm going to irrigate it 
much longer um, and a little bit more aggressively. And then I don't close the wound, but just leave it open. Iodoform packing, and then I'll let that close by secondary intention. Got it. And then uh, antibiotics. Are you set? Are you just kind of consulting with a referring doc, or are you sending them home? Let's say they're they're outpatient, or you send them home with something. I mean, obviously, if they're inpatient, they probably got ID team working on them. But if they're outpatient, it's infected. Do you have like a protocol for that? So I don't have a protocol. It's kind of in my Epic um, order set where like I will put them on like a broad spectrum antibiotic and I, and I, I for the life of me, I can't remember it. Um, and then I'll culture everything. And then depending on the cultures and sensitivities, I may change that when they go yeah. home. Yeah. Like, you know, at, when the cultures come back after right. two or three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do usually Clinda and yeah, but very similar. And then are you packing, you say you pack with iodoform. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing for wound closure if it's infected? Yeah, so wound closure, um, totally different scenario, in which case um, it's not going to get sutured uh, shut. So I'll pack it with iodoform gauze. And then after that, depending on um, how capable the the patient or caregiver is, then so you pack it. And then after two days, three days, you have the patient like pull out just a little bit of iodoform gauze, cut that, that gets discarded. And they do that over the course of a week or 10 days until there's just no iodoform gauze left. And then all that you know, starts to heal up. And as the iodoform is taking up less space, it's closing and closing, then hopefully it just seal, seals up on secondary intention. And they'll follow up with a wound check, either with me or one of my partners and, you know, maybe seven to 14 days, depending on how long we think it's going to take to heal. Yeah. And then sometimes they need a new one placed, right? You just typically go on the other side. So if they need a new one placed, I guess the scenario can differ between inpatients and outpatients. So usually we have to give them another line. And so we'll do uh, a tunnel... I don't know what you call them. Like our brand name's Power Lines. Yeah. Yeah. So, a, a, you know, five pick. or six or inch tunnel dual lumen catheter. And that's usually on the contralateral side. And, you know, I could convert that over to a port, but I'll usually just do a new stick. Yeah. Contralateral side. Not to say that I couldn't use the same side. I mean, I some patients, there's probably plenty of room and there may be a reason to avoid, you know, the left or the right. Like if that's going to be in the radiation field or if they've had a stectomy with a lot of radiation treatment. So I'm not saying you couldn't use the ipsilateral infected side, but I usually go contralateral, all things being equal. Yeah. Yep. And then I guess for, so like when they're infected, you're- Oh, hold on. I also want to say this. In Louisiana, there's usually a a reason a lot of people want you to use the left side or the right side. Hmm. Do you have this in Texas? Hunters. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to get in the way of like uh, how I'm not my gun. I'm like, like, I don't know, dude, but I think you'll be fine. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. That's like, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot oh, of yeah. hunters like have a preference whether they went on the uh, right side or left side, but I assure them it will all be fine. Yeah. yeah. Also, when they're infected, you know, when it's bacteremia, I'm usually sending the tip of the catheter that's inside the body, you know, in, inside the bloodstream. When it's the port pocket itself, I'm using, I'm usually sending the reservoir, actually the whole thing. I'm just saying the specimen cup. Same. Yeah. Yep, same. Like you said, if it's bacteremia, catheter tip, and if it's like purulent pocket, then I just send the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they necessarily need the whole thing because if you have like a sample of pus, but I send it, I mean. Yeah, maybe the. We're having a pathologist on, we can ask. Maybe they get that <laughs> and they're like, why do you guys keep sending us this whole yeah, port? Whole port, yeah. Uh, have well, you ever had any patients ask if they could keep it? No, but usually the IVC filter is what. Because yeah, yeah, I yeah, show it to them and they're like, whoa, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, can yeah, I yeah. keep that? Yeah. I don't blame them for wanting to keep the IVC filters. They yeah, do look kind of cool. Yeah. So, okay. And that's pretty much it for the procedure. I mean, any post-procedure, we talked about like follow-up for uh, cases when they're, when they're infected, definitely need to follow up with them. 
what about just your standard port retrieval? I, you know, I imagine you're just telling them, giving them some instructions on keeping it clean and dry, but they don't really need to follow up. Do they? I don't follow up with them after I pull it. Um, yeah. I mean, they always have our number where they can contact us and our, our, um, post-op nurses will give them a call day after, ask if there's any problems, but usually it's like follow-up PRN for us. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're, you're doing Dermabond over top and then are you mm-hmm. doing steri strips as well? No, no steri no, strips. Just Dermabond. Yeah. Great. Do people mix steri strips and Dermabond? Some do. Okay. Some do, yeah. Some kind of reinforce it. I mean, I think with big people, any time where it looks sure. like they're going to pull. pull, yeah, I, I usually will have them reinforce a little bit. You want that tension-free yeah, exactly. Closure. Exactly. And then did you say you drone 40 and 30? By uh, 3020. 3020. Okay. That's too bulky. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that also helps with that tension. You know, I, sure. we do 4030. So I will do with some 40 monocryl, uh, 40 monocryl for like a, a running sim Q layer. Yeah. So that's where I go 40 if needed. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Three, yeah. 30 is my deep, 40 is my running. So I think that's it. Like, what about, I, do you want to talk about a little bit about fractured ports or problem or stuck ports? Yeah, I've never, I don't know if I've ever had a stuck, well, I have had, you're right. Sometimes the catheter doesn't come out because there's, it's stuck on something. Something. But yeah, what do you do in that case? So if it's a stuck catheter, first thing I do is get a wire and get it through it. I mean, you may not end up needing it, right. but for me, like, I mean, I'll, more often the reason I'm dealing with a stuck catheter is because I'm dealing with a referring doc. Like a lot of the surgeons put in their own and take out their own. And I guess just with that many referring docs, they just run into this issue, but it's not infrequent that I get a call from a referring doc, like the catheter stuck and they've already pulled real hard on it. Yeah. And so if my catheter is stuck, the reason I don't pull on it, like a lot of traction initially, I just go ahead and get the wire and get it down. Mm -hmm. Um, Is because like the more you pull on it, that catheter will stretch and the less likely you will be to actually get a decent wire through it. Yeah. And so I'll try and get a glad wire through it. And then I'll give it like starting out gentle traction, a little bit more traction. And then I just try and choke up on it as much as possible. And then I pull, hoping that the catheter stretches through the, like over the wire. And when that catheter stretches, it just kind of grabs onto the glide wire. Yeah. And then once it's done that, I try and remove it in its entirety. But yeah. I do try and get that wire down like a fair amount. Yeah. To me, like, I guess it's just IR, like it's built into my your brain. Like, as long as you have a wire through something, you have options. You're, you're like, good. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just feel like you have, you, there are things you can do. But yeah, I start out, like, as soon as the catheter is stuck, get the wire in. Yeah, I mean the the wire in serves actually two purposes. And I, I think it was Baron that told me told me this at Vanderbilt is um A, it, it's like a safety piece in case it does break. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. The other thing is is the the silicone, whether you're dealing with a, a Mediport or a pick line or a perm cast, is it's less likely to snap with that wire inside. That's right. Because it's like reinforcing yep, it. That's exactly right. Um like all you said it like hugs it so that you can use that excessive force to kind of pull the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're right. I mean, just having like, that's the first step, just getting a wire through it Yeah. anytime it's stuck. Um, cause yeah, I mean, could, something could have with permcast where they're just super buried. That cuff got, it's got a lot of scar around it. You can only dissect so much until you're, you're about to the point where you're going to have to like cut down yeah. at yep, the yep. neck and it's like, all right, well, let me just try getting a wire through and just pulling really hard. Yeah. You know? Yep. Exactly. Um, um yeah. So for fractured or, or, so that's the stuck board. And then sometimes the, for whatever reason, like you always think to pull, sometimes pushing is the right, as long as you have control over it, 
sometimes like I'm pushing and then I pull and sometimes that'll jar something loose and I don't know yeah. why. So I try a couple different like, I mean, there's only two ways you can pull and push it. And that's before I decide to like cut down on it and get in control over the Venomy site. And then I haven't done this. This actually hasn't come up in my practice, but my, kind of my algorithm is like push, pull. If you can't get it out there, cut down the Venomy site. And if that doesn't work, then I'm probably going to get groin access and then snare the other end to have control like on oh, both yeah. sides. That's... I mean, I, I would just imagine like if you, if I can't tell where it's stuck, like, I mean, yeah. it can be intravascularly adhered to something. Right. Or it can be at the venotomy site. I mean, and if you just don't know, I wasn't, I wouldn't hesitate to go ahead and get groin access. I mean, it's just like, all this is like venous access. Like to me that, that is, it's not like a barrier. I don't sweat it. I'm just saying prep the groin and like, you know, let's get a hold of both, like both ends. Yeah. Yeah, so this made me think that we should do a whole episode on foreign body retrieval, but not just like, you know, like IBC filter retrieval, but like like cases like coils, catheter tips, all this sort of thing. Stents. Stents, yeah. Like those are the oh shit moments, right? Yeah, we should. Um, so we should just do it. Uh, we'll think of who would be a good guest. I don't, I don't perfect do guess for that. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but you have to, you have to, I mean, because all of us have done it, but you really want to go to like a super high volume sitter where- right. They're pulling stuff out of people like yeah. all the time, and I, I know just I know a couple of good a uh, couple of good <laughs> IR docs, and one who does neurointerventional, and so he has to pull stuff out of the brain occasionally, and, wow. and so yeah, I think he's got some next level tips that like I've seen him present in Angio Club that I didn't necessarily think of straight out of straight away. Yeah, I'm not saying sometimes things come to you in the moment, right? Like you just right. have to wait for that oh shit moment before like your brain kicks in, yeah, and kicks that yeah. neuron into gear, but yeah. And then, like, when when do you stop? Because I remember there, there has been kids at Vanderbilt where there's like catheter stuff, where it's like you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, and then finally it was like, maybe this isn't going to have any effect on the patient at all. Maybe we should just stop. Sure, we're doing more harm than good. You know, I've had I've had cases like that, and I think it's totally case dependent. Certainly, radiation. Like, if for some reason I'm you know starting to gray that patient out, then I'm definitely going to stop and then regroup. Sometimes it's just like you get you get like a fever, foreign body fever, and that like you just have this feeling that you have to get it out. But, yeah. you know, sometimes it just takes a second to take a step back and be like, what's the chance of this actually going anywhere significant? Right. And I think that's different for every patient, like depending on the indication why you're taking out, depending on how long that patient's going to be around. Yeah. You know, certainly the conversation is different for someone who's having their port removed and their cancer free versus someone who's like stage four, salvage therapy but an infected port like if they have yeah. like a retained fragment like i don't know if it's as significant um we i just had a couple docs on recently to talk about closure devices and we and the one of the vascular surgeons was talking about retrieving angiosteel plugs uh, or you know the yeah the little plug that's on the sure. inside foot plate. Um, the foot plate yeah yeah and uh so that's another one where we could cover just there's all you know whatever all over the body Retrievals. Yeah, but primarily yeah. we have to treat foreign body retrievals. I mean, because it just looks so bad to leave it in. Like, yeah, it's like just, I mean, you know, it's hard to take that picture and there's like this <laughs> fractured fragment still hanging out. Yeah. But I, I have like, I think of one patient where I left it in. So it, we don't have to go too far into it, but I, you couldn't get access from below it because it was placed too short. And so, and it hadn't been used in years. Like someone, I don't know why, I, I forgot why we were taking it out, but maybe the patient just wanted it out. Can't blame him. And so it would actually, like, there was no intravascular access from below. I'm not saying I couldn't have recannulated something and got into a channel, but from just below, like a femoral approach, like I wasn't able to snare it. And then it was stuck, like, from a subclavian standpoint. And so, like, I stuck down on it. I stuck a needle into the fractured segment. 
and got a wire as far as it would go, which is just a terminal into the catheter, which is in a sub- left subclavian. Tried to balloon it, like you know, just break it open and right. then like retrieve it, but would not would not give for anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you just got to leave those. You yeah. know, that patient, by the way, did just fine. Just fine, like, right? Yeah, I'm never aware. I could have caused more harm than good for sure. Um, all right. Well, on that note, that's all I got, Chris. Do you think we left anything out? I'm trying to think. Many um, I mean, the one thing that I don't know if we talked about in depth was, you know, if the pocket is infected, like even if with bacteremia, I just do copious irrigation of that poor pocket. Oh, it, yeah. So bacteremic, yeah, I'll close the the pocket in those cases, except for, especially if it's like a soft indication from ID and that they're just trying to like rule out everything that could be a potential nidus. Right. I'll definitely close the pocket, culture the pocket, culture the tip, but I will close that. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of what else I was going to say one more thing about fractured ports. Oh, one of the things I've been surprised about, like we have a fair amount that are fractured that we take out. A lot of in their pinch off at the subclavian. Have you ever seen like what they look at, look like when you, they're only partially fractured when you just have like extra. Yeah. I have a lot of longitudinal tears. Ah, yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we've, we've taken out plenty for that and I'll take pictures of it and um, I'll send them to the referring doc and I'm like, yeah. this is what's happened to your subclavian right. catheters. And they're always like, they always like surprised like, oh, this never happens. I'm like, no, no, it happens no, all the time. <laughs> like, look at our other, our text chain. Yeah. Well, when you see that, are you putting, you're putting a wire through before you pull it? Yeah. So if it's fractured, I'll usually put a wire in. And I think that's a little bit overkill because a lot of times they come out nice and easy. But yeah. in the event that they don't, right. I've, I've uh, I like that wire. wire access. And the reason I do it is because there was one that was fractured and it looked like just a little amount of extra. I'm like, oh, but if I tug on it, it'll like, it'll all come out. And it completely separated as soon as I had any traction. And then the wire just wanted to go every way, but through both of them. So, yeah. So you had to snare it from yeah, below. Yeah. So I had to snare it from below. Yeah. I mean, I pro, I mean, I'm trying to think if I could have like cut down on it. Maybe, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I had to snare it from below. Well, which is like to me, but, like, it's not a big deal. That's like the easiest place to snare. Yeah. yeah. Let's go fishing. All right. Well, sounds good, Chris. Thanks for your insights. And we'll get this one out. Another basic topic. All right. Good deal. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Dong, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhorter. Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, Josh Spencer, Design and Digital Marketing, led by Brian Schmitz, Social Media and PR by Anne Dang, Manisha Naganathanahali, and Manbir Singh Sabli. Administrative support provided by Jim Kinnebrew. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening. 